0: So let's turn now to the gospel lesson this morning. Comes to us from the sixth chapter of John. And Jesus says these words. Listen now for God's word to you today. I am the bread of life, said Jesus. Anyone who comes to to me will never be hungry. Anyone who believes in me will never be thirsty. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's join together in prayer. Holy God, we pray that you'll grant us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts and minds to Understand your word and your world as best we can this day. For we pray in Jesus' name, and everybody says together, amen. Well, as uh, many of you know, one of the best perks of my job as a pastor is that I get to teach. I love teaching. And so occasionally throughout the years that I've been a pastor, which has been about 24, 25 years, I have taught a class with the, uh, I guess, presumptuous title of Christianity 101. It's kind of my futile attempt to boil down into four weeks, the totality of doctrine and history of the Christian faith, and needless to say, we don't get into everything. But it's fun for me, at least. And invariably, every time I teach this class or something like it, somebody who didn't grow up Catholic, says to me, wait a minute, are you telling me that people actually think they're eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus? Like the real flesh and the real blood? And I say something like, yes, or at least that's my best understanding of what the Catholic Church preaches. And then the person will usually shake their head and say, that's just so gross and they wouldn't be the first people to say that because as you heard in the very last verse that I just read in the gospel the disciples of Jesus basically say the same thing they say this teaching is difficult who can accept it and that's no surprise at all because these folks are Jews And, you know, beyond the pure ick factor, one of the clearest teachings in the Torah, in the whole Jewish Bible, is that uh, Jews should never eat or drink blood. It's completely forbidden. It's not kosher in the slightest. Genesis 9 says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, only you shall not eat flesh with its life that is its blood or leviticus 15 you shall not eat the blood of any creature for the life of every creature is in its blood i could go on and on and on there's so many passages in the in the hebrew bible about not eating blood or drinking blood so what's the big deal well as you hear in scripture the ancient jews like many people throughout the ancient world, understood blood to be the essence and the force of life, the life force. And since God is the creator of all life, then blood is sacred. And so that sacredness gets symbolized in mainly two ways for Jews. First, blood is a symbol of sacrifice, right? That is giving up something important to you the the sacred life force itself in order to gain something of even greater importance. That's why 2,000 years ago uh, in Palestine, in Jerusalem, the primary way that Jews would show their connection, their allegiance to God, would seek forgiveness and would seek uh, favor from God in the harvest and all that kind of stuff, the primary way they would do that was by sacrificing animals. That is, spilling their blood in the temple of Jerusalem. Secondly, blood symbolizes salvation. Like in the story of Exodus, right? Maybe you saw the movie, but you know the story from the Bible too, I'm sure, that the Jews were slaves in Egypt, and God appoints Moses to sort of be his agent of liberation, to let my people go. And Moses warns Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the people go, otherwise God's going to send down a whole bunch of plagues on Egypt. God does that very same thing, but Pharaoh won't budge. And so God tries plan B. He sends what's called the angel of death, messenger of death, to kill the firstborn children of all the Egyptians. But, as you remember, Moses told the Jews to paint lamb's blood over the door where they lived as a sign to the angel to pass over their house not to harm anybody there but to kill the Egyptians and so that happens and the angel passes over the Jews house kills the Egyptians and when that happens Pharaoh sees the light and he lets the people go so blood became a sign of salvation to the Jewish people as well sacrifice and salvation And this essentially Jewish outlook frames everything that Jesus says and does in the sixth chapter of John in fact it frames everything that happens to Jesus and that he says and does throughout the whole Gospel of John it's all what the Jews would call a Midrash of the Exodus of the Passover of the liberation of the people from death and slavery in Egypt for example In the gospel, we are told that everything that's going on happens near the annual festival of Passover. So to this day, as you know, probably Jews gather in the same way. Once a year on Passover for a meal that's called the Seder, a ritual meal. And they remember how God saved their ancestors from slavery by symbolically eating bread, among other foods, and drinking wine. Well, in the gospel, we hear Jesus say this, I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will never be hungry, and anyone who believes in me will never be thirsty. Those words are a pretty clear echo from Exodus. Remember, after the Jews escaped slavery, They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness of Sinai. Now, unfortunately, if you know the story, you realize and you remember that the Jewish people spent most of their time grumbling, complaining about how God was being so unfair to them, how things were so rough for them. I mean, these people had just escaped slavery, but even then it wasn't good enough for them. But even with their moaning, (laughs) God provides for them. Because they hadn't bothered to go find food themselves. So every morning, the same God who saved them from slavery isn't going to let them starve. So every morning, this stuff that's like bread falls from heaven. This white stuff. In Hebrew, it's called manna, which has the direct translation into English. What is this? That's what manna means. What is this? Well, some sort of a bread, and that bread of heaven provides all the nourishment and all the life the Jews need to get them all the way through the wilderness and into the promised land, land of milk and honey. And now it's interesting that in Arabic, the word for life and the word for bread are the same, the word aish. And that connection gets repeated, as you probably know, in cultures all over the world. In English, we talk about bread as the staff of life, the foundation of life. So both bread and blood signify life. And if you fail to make that symbolic connection, what Jesus says next is just going to sound totally bizarre, if not utterly gross. Very truly, I tell you, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I abide in them. Now, of course, before the death and resurrection of Jesus, before Easter, nobody who heard him say those words could have had any idea what he was really talking about, what was going to happen. But after Easter, after his death and resurrection, when his first disciples who were all jews when they gathered together they they began to piece it all together what jesus had said and they understood the symbolism of the bread and the blood and they connected it to their foundational story of their people their liberation from slavery and death in egypt and they realized that just as god had saved their ancestors so long ago god is doing the very same thing now Through the Son of God, Jesus. Except, this is a big exception, except in this new Exodus, God's salvation isn't only for the Jews. This time, through the sacrifice of Jesus, salvation comes to everybody, to the whole world. And that's how these first Jewish followers of Jesus understood the new reality, the new covenant that God had, not just with the Jews, but with the whole of creation, all people. And so naturally, they wanted to celebrate that with a ritual meal. So they modeled it after the Passover Seder, and that's what we call communion. In Christ, we are one body, No matter who we are, what ethnic group, religious group, cultural background we might have, we're one body. And so to unite our own individual bodies with that one body, we eat his flesh, symbolized by bread, the manna, the life force from heaven. And we drink wine, like in the Passover Seder, to receive the life force of Jesus symbolized in his blood. Doesn't really matter whether you believe or you've been taught that when you take the elements of the Lord's Supper, you're actually eating the actual flesh and blood of Jesus, or if you believe that we're more just remembering what happened in some way, or or Jesus is here with us in in a spiritual way. It doesn't matter, really. Because the basic idea is that as Christians, we believe that whenever we receive this sacrament, God is feeding us and uniting us and enlivening us to do and to be the sort of people that God made us to be. The loving, reconciling, accepting, healing presence of Christ on this earth. Now, do we always Get that experience every time we come to the Lord's table? Of course not. Of course not. For lots of reasons. I could go into many reasons, but from my own experience, I know that sometimes the most disuniting thing we can do, divisive thing we can do as Christians is celebrate communion. Sometimes as churches people feel ostracized because they can't receive communion for whatever reason. Or sometimes the Eucharist or the communion, the Lord's Supper, can just feel like an empty ritual. I get that. Or it can bring up really bad memories, feelings of guilt or betrayal or or what have you. But get this. Sometimes, Sometimes something happens and somehow you get fed, you get enlivened, you get invigorated, you accept and you are accepted by and into the body of Christ, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And as St. Augustine said so many years ago, when you receive the Eucharist in that way, you become what you receive. I love how Sarah Miles writes about her own complicated relationship with communion. You may have read her book. uh, It's called Take This Bread, and in it she describes herself pretty straightforwardly as a a blue-state, secular, intellectual, lesbian, left-wing journalist with a habit of skepticism. So you kind of get a sense where she's coming from. And then early one cloudy Sunday morning over in San Francisco, for some unknown reason. She walks into this Episcopal church, and here's how she describes what happens. I had no earthly reason to be there. I had never heard a gospel reading, never said the Lord's prayer. I was certainly not interested in becoming a Christian, or as I thought of it rather less politely, a religious nut. I walked in, took a chair, and tried not to catch anyone's eye. We sat down and stood up, sat down and stood up and sang and sat down. You know how Episcopalians worship, that's kind of what was going on. Waited and listened and stood up and sang, and it was all pretty interesting. And then she heard these words. Somebody said, a woman at the altar. Jesus invites everyone to this table. And for some reason, Sarah got up, and she stood at the table with a bunch of people she didn't know. And here's what happened. There was some more singing and standing. And someone was putting a piece of fresh, crumbly bread in my hand, saying, the body of Christ. And handing me a goblet of sweet wine, saying, the blood of Christ. And then something outrageous and terrifying happened jesus happened to me that's how she puts it now why jesus happened to sarah uh, in that particular way in that particular day with those particular people god only knows right but in the book if you read it you see that her whole life had more or less been leading up to that moment when as she writes the mysterious sacrament turned out not to be a symbolic wafer at all, but actual food, indeed, the bread of life. And that shocking, in that shocking moment of communion, it filled me with a deep desire to reach for and to become part of a body. And I realized that what I'd been doing and getting enjoyment from in my whole life cooking and baking for family and friends, that was what I was meant to do for Jesus, to feed people. So in the year 2000, she started the food pantry, where every Friday night around the altar at St. Gregory of Nyssa Church in San Francisco, about 40 families, 400 families, receive free food, nourishing food, for their bodies, for their families, for their life. And if they want to receive communion, they get that too. Now, a few years ago, some of you may remember, Sarah came here to Piedmont Community Church, uh, and she spoke, and she talked about her story, and it inspired me so much, especially when I think about all the other churches that are doing similar things, you know, whether on site or Uh, through another agency like Piedmont Community Church does with City Team Ministry in downtown Oakland because so many people are hungry they're hungry they're hungry for food but they're also hungry for life for acceptance for purpose for community they're hungry for love and justice peace freedom. And as we've already heard about today, they are hungry for support in a time of profound tragedy. So what are we going to do about all that hunger? How are we going to respond, you and me? Well, in a few moments I'm going to invite you to come to the Lord's table, the table. And I want you as you come up here today, now and then as you go about your day later on into the future, I want you to consider what you yourself, what you are hungry for. What are you hungry for? Now be honest with yourself. What is it that feeds you, body and soul? What is it that you consume and what is it that consumes you? What is it that energizes you and gives you life? And what is it that deadens you or causes you to stumble? Now, I realize communion is going to be different today, right? I already talked about that. You're not going to come up here and tear off a nice, beautiful, tasty piece of challah bread and dip it into a cup of wine and put it into your mouth. You're not going to do that. Instead, you're going to come up here and I'm going to, Reverend Hutch and I, we're going to give you a little plastic cup that has a little wafer in it and a little bit of grape juice. That's the reality of what we're living in today. But don't let it distract you. Don't let it eat you up. Because what I want you to do is think about what this little cup, where did I put it? What does this little cup represent? Right now in the times we're going through. There is no doubt that Jesus Christ is present and powerful, however we eat and drink in remembrance of him. But this morning, as we commune with Jesus and with each other, be aware that we're going through unfamiliar times, strange days, and that a whole lot of people are suffering right now. People we know, people we don't know. But as you come up to this table, remember that no matter what you are going through right now or somebody you love is going through right now, Christ is already here. He's ready to feed you, He's ready to love you, to support you, to share His life with you. And as you receive that precious gift of the life of Jesus Christ, be ready. Be empowered to respond, to feed, to love, to support, and to share your life with others as best you can, in Jesus' name. Amen.